Hey y'all, Progress Texas Podcasting Director Chris Mosier here. Just got back from a really nice event as part of the Texas AFL-CIO's annual COPE convention at the Doubletree Hotel in North Austin. We really appreciate our friends there for accommodating us at their event, which for now looks like it very well may be the only debate between the Democrats and the running for the chance to face Ted Cruz for Texas's junior U.S. Senate seat coming up this fall. It was a packed house, a lot of familiar faces, good positive energy in the room, and a good substantive conversation between three of those several candidates. The Texas AFL-CIO invited U.S. Congressman Colin Allred, Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, and Texas House Representative Carl Sherman to share their vision for what they think Texas needs for a change in the Senate. I found all three to be very solid, and I did think to myself while this was going on that Texas progressives are quite lucky to have this level of talent to put up against our national embarrassment, Ted Cruz. And I've got high hopes that regardless of the outcome of the primary, we're going to be able to form a united front behind our nominee and get the job done in November. The registration deadline for the primary is February 5th, just over a week from recording time here. The deadline for absentee and mail-in ballots is February 23rd. Early voting starts April 25th and ends May 2nd, and Election Day for the primary is coming up on May the 5th. Thanks again to the Texas AFL-CIO for the opportunity to participate today. This recording of the Democratic Senatorial Debate is coming to you in its entirety with no edits. And the first voice you'll hear here is that of President Rick Levy. Good afternoon, delegates, and good afternoon to all of you who are watching online. Welcome to the Texas AFL-CIO COPE Democratic United States Senate Candidate Debate. We welcome you watching us online, and we understand that this is a space most of you have not been in. So by way of introduction, COPE is where trade union leaders and activists from across the state come together and set our political course as a movement. And that includes endorsing candidates for office based on their views and their record on key issues relating to working people. Now, some background. We know that there are more candidates running that are on this stage, but to make sure we can have a meaningful conversation, we selected these three candidates based on polling of our executive board. We are grateful to the candidates who have come here to make their case for representing the entire state of Texas to a room full of union members because they know that Texas is changing and they know that working people are the ones that are getting about changing it. This is a critical race for our future, for our, for our state, and for our country. We have the opportunity to give this nation a mighty gift, and that is sending Ted Cruz away for your good. For that reason, we want this debate to focus on the issues facing working Texans. And we ask the audience and the candidates to respect our process, our time limits, and the rules to give us all a clear vision of where you would take us if you were elected. Now to the debate. I'd like to first introduce our moderators. We have with us Jessica Montoya Coggins, who is the executive director of the Texas Signal Media Foundation, a nonprofit newsroom devoted to delivering truthful and public interest reporting by and for the new Texas majority. 
a longtime writer and journalist. Jessica has written for NBC News, Salon, and Jezebel. Welcome, Jessica. Our other moderator is Bob Garrett, who is the Austin Bureau Chief for the Dallas Morning News. He's covered state government for the news since 2002. He has survived, by his own admission, 12 regular and 20 special sessions of the Texas legislature. And like the late Molly Ivins, he considers his love for the legislature a harmless perversion on his part, in which he discusses it only with consenting adults. Thank you, Bob. We have met with each of the candidates, and we have developed these rules, and I'm going to give them to you all so that we're all working off the same page. Candidates will have a three-minute opening statement with determined by lot, Representative Sherman first, Congressman Allred second, and State Senator Gutierrez third. Questions from the moderators will follow. Leonard and I will kick off the debate and hand it over then to Bob and Jessica. During the question and answer portion of the debate, each candidate will have 90 seconds to answer a question directed to them. For questions that are directed to all candidates, the first candidate will have 90 seconds and the other candidates will have 30. Candidates may address one another during the question and answer period, but if a candidate does so, the candidate reference will be given 30 seconds to respond. Candidates will have two minutes each for closing remarks, and the order will be the reverse of the opening statements with State Senator Gutierrez first, Congressman Allred second, and Representative Sherman third. We have permitted campaigns to hand out signs to members, but please only raise them when that candidate is being introduced. So speaking of being introduced, I'd like to introduce the folks who are on this stage who are seeking your support. To my immediate left, State Representative Carl Sherman. To his left, Congressman Colin Allred. And at the other end of the stage, State Senator Roland Gutierrez. So with no further ado, may we begin. Congressman Allred, this first question is going to be for you, sir. Um, a recent poll by the university, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. What I'm thinking is we might want to do the opening first. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. aye. Good point. It was going so well before then, too. All right. Please, Representative. Hold on a second, Mike is not on. Okay, try it. Okay, first of all, that's good? Okay, all right. I'd like to thank the AFL-CIO for your thoughtful uh, leadership in establishing this forum for candidates to come and speak uh, to the voters. Second, I must say to all those who have signed up to run for the U.S. Senate uh, that were not able to join us today uh, so that we could have more uh, 
comprehensive discussion about the issues. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail. And then lastly, I want to say up front uh, to uh, Chairwoman Delia Parker Mims, the Chairwoman of the Denton County Democrats, uh, that we are praying for you and your family. Uh, Billy Parker, her mother, uh, has received a diagnosis. I just got this text today. And I know that this union and Democrats are one family, and so I'm asking us to pray for her mother, Billy Parker. Now, this country, we are really at a perilous moment. Our democracy is at threat, and someone with my background as a small-town Texas city manager, a former mayor, a state representative, and currently as a pastor for over 16 years, I know uh, the diversity of Texas from rural to suburban and urban communities alike. And my wife and I have been committed to focusing on the issues of creating a Texas that would welcome all citizens of Texas. And so as I stand before you, I think about the issues like when I went to Eagle Pass meeting uh, at the border and the issues there of families trying to get to this country for freedom, for liberties that they don't have. Uh, we need a representative who is going to fight uh, for all Texans, and by my work, I've been identified as someone who is a fighter for social justice, and I look forward to doing that uh, as your next U.S. Senator uh, with your support. Thank you. Okay. Can you all hear me? That's good. Well, thank you, Rick and Texas AFL-CIO for uh, putting this on. Uh, I am glad to see my members from AFGE here. I want to thank you all uh, for your endorsement in this race and over the years. You, you know, listen, uh, I have a uniquely Texas story. I was born and raised in Dallas by a single mom who's a public school teacher. And do we have any teachers in the house? Any teachers here? Yeah, well, we, we don't pay you all enough. And so my mom had to work two jobs sometimes to make ends meet. And I relied on my community. For me, that was my public schools, my local YMCA, my teachers, my coaches. They're the ones who went above and beyond and gave me a chance to my, chase my version of the American dream. It was a big deal for my family when I got a scholarship to play football at Baylor University because we couldn't have afforded that. And at Baylor, I ended up being captain of the football team and had a degree in history and was all ready to go to law school when I had a chance to pursue a dream of becoming an NFL player. After five years of doing that, after an injury into my career in Dallas against the Cowboys, I decided to go to law school and pursue another dream of becoming a civil rights lawyer with a focus on voting rights because of what was happening in our state because I thought it was unacceptable that we were trying to take the right to vote away from Texans. I served in the Obama administration and then in 2017, my wife and I decided to do something a little crazy. I decided to run for Congress. It's an entrenched 22-year incumbent who had been unopposed in the previous election, a Republican who had been an enemy of the right to organize. And, and nobody thought we could beat him. And thanks to some of the folks in this room and building a broad coalition of Democrats and independents and some Republicans too, uh, we beat him by nearly seven points. That's how I know we can beat Ted Cruz. And the truth is, we have to, because all our values as Texans are under attack right now. In Texas, we value freedom, the freedom to make your own health care decisions, including access to an abortion, the freedom to organize, the freedom to retire with dignity, the freedom that if you work hard and do the right things, you should be able to get ahead. But Ted Cruz stands against all of that. 
And I also know it doesn't have to be this way. You don't, we don't have to have a senator that we're embarrassed by. We can get a new one. I've shown in my time in Congress that it's possible to work across the aisle. I'm the most bipartisan member of the Texas delegation while also standing up for my values. I have a 100% voting record from the Texas AFL-CAO, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the labor wins that we've had, like passing the PRO Act, which we need to get through the Senate when I'm in the United States Senate. Of passing the Infrastructure Bill and the Chips and Science Act, putting folks to work here in our state, protecting our veterans, opening a veterans hospital in my district, it's all possible. And I know that this is going to be a tough fight. But the truth is, I've taken on a lot tougher guys than Ted Cruz before. And with y'all's help, on November 5th, we can retire him to be the media personality that we know he wants to be together. Let's do it. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. All right. Well, listen, first off, thank you all very much, AFL-CIO. I want to thank my wife and kids that have been here. They've been my rock through all these years in public service. I've been driving all across Texas. Is there the, is the truckers union here? Because I'm ready to join. <laughs> listen, this may very well be the only debate that we have, so this is important. I'm the son of immigrants, born and raised in San Antonio. My father taught me one thing, and that's to work hard, to exhaust yourself on whatever it is that you're doing. This election is about trust. It's about who you trust to go on and take on not just Ted Cruz, but to represent you in Washington. Rick and Leonard, they've known me for 18 years, as many of you have. And you've never had to guess for one second or for one minute what my vote would be like in that building, in that pink dome down the street. You've never had to understand whether Roland's with you or not because I've been with you 110% of the time. I was with SCIU as a San Antonio City Councilman when they fought for meet and confer. I was their champion. I walked the line with UAW in Dallas. And very recently, this past session, I was the only Democrat that could put teacher pay raise amendments on the Senate floor until until Republican extremists pulled them out in the House. You see, this election, I know who I am. I've known who I am, and you know who I am. And I know what this election is about, and this election is about pain. It's a pain about those families in Uvalde, everything that they had to face, those people that have become my family. It's about the pain that a woman is trying to get reproductive decisions made in this state has to go through. It's about the pain of the high cost of health care. It's about the pain of the lack of job opportunity and college affordability. It's about broken systems and broken grids, because everything is broken in this state. And yes, it's also about an immigration system that's broken, and an immigration system that only Congress can fix. And yet some Washington politicians want to put this on our president. This problem's been going on for 50 years. We don't need to have Democrats throwing our president under the bus, as happened here last week. We don't need to adopt Trump and Cruz's causes. We don't need to build walls. We need comprehensive immigration reform, Congressman. Yes, we do. And the reason we need that, the reason we need to not carry and condone their message of chaos, because they don't want to fix the problem. They just want to scare us each and every day, each and every day. And while they're scaring us, we never get to fix 
the gun violence in America. We never get to fix reproductive rights. We never get to fix worker protections. We never get to fix health care costs. We never get to fix everything that is ailing us. I know who I am, and I think that you'll find after the end of this debate that there can be only one person that you can trust to represent you in the United States Senate. I've been with you all along. Thank you so much. Okay, now can I ask a question? Okay. This first question is, uh, we're going to start out with you, Congressman, and um, recent poll by the University of Texas at Austin's Texas Politics Project showed that 64% of all Texans believe that labor unions are good for working people. And that makes sense. Union members make more money, they have broader benefits such as health care and pensions, and they have protection from arbitrary treatment from management. And though we've seen an upsurge in union organizing and activity where workers have made significant gains, and union membership has risen even in Texas in the most recent report, less than 5% of Texans actually have the benefit of union membership. What do you feel are the major factors that address this discrepancy? And what will you do as U.S. Senator to stand with working people yeah. and remove barriers to union membership and help workers actually form unions? Yeah, thank, we, thank you, Rick. You know, it would be such a change uh, to have me in the United States Senate. I, I'm a card-carrying, dues-paying union member. My union, the NFL Players Association, <laughs> is an affiliate of the AFL-CIO. And our union meetings were no different than anybody else's. It was about how should we get the proper compensation for our skilled labor, about our health care, about our retirement, about our working conditions. I relied on my union. When I got hurt, my union stepped in and made sure that I went through the process of ending my career. My retirement benefits are preserved for me by my union because we collectively bargained for them. You'll never have to come to me and have to explain why it's important that we should be able to organize or what the power of collecting bargaining is, because I've lived it. That's why I'm proud to have a 100% voting record from the FLCIO in my six years in Congress. And what we have to do now is ensure that we pass the PRO Act through the United States Senate. We've got it through the House twice. We've gotten it through the House twice, but we haven't had enough votes in the Senate. When I'm in the Senate, we'll get that done. Because we did just have a hot union summer. And we saw activism all over the country. And I think young people in particular are seeing the benefits of joining a union, but in our state we make it too hard. And the PROAC can help us supersede that, make sure we make it easier for folks to organize, combine your voices, and get what you deserve. Thank you very much. Do either of the other candidates have a response or would like to address the question? Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Collective bargaining is important for not just union members, but it's important for every working Texan. When our unions are weakened by efforts of Republican-controlled states uh, to uh, give us these uh, right-to-work status, it strips us of the power we have of collective bargaining. When individuals can receive the benefits of being a union member and not have to pay the dues, that's a problem. And I think you will find every candidate here on this stage and everyone that's not on this stage 
agrees with that. Because when unions were weakened, it created more of a disparity between the wealthy and the working class. And so everyone here, I believe, uh, will fight for the same thing on that we agree on policy, I believe. Well, thank you, Rick. Listen, first off, yeah, we're all for the PRO Act for sure. I'm also a proud member of the Texas State Employees Union. But the congressman told you in the first 30 seconds of his video, that's all right, you can clap. The congressman told you in the first 30 seconds of his video who he's for. He says, I, in the past, I've been with the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO. Those two entities don't go in the same sentence. You cannot be for the wolf and the sheep, too. Let's be really clear about that. Because the only thing the Chamber of Commerce cares about is a damn dollar. They don't care about you, and they don't care about your issues. It's an impossibility to have those two clauses in the same sentence. We've been scammed and we've been neglected for 30 years in this state by Chamber of Commerce types that would rather screw us on health care, on education, and everything that matters. So remember, ask yourselves, who's got your back? And if any of you think that the Chamber of Commerce got, has your back, go ahead and get, just raise your hand. They don't. They don't. Congressman, you were yeah. referenced in that response. You have 30 seconds. Yeah, to listen, I'm, I'm proud to have built broad coalitions in my campaigns. That's how you win tough races. It's also how you represent districts like the one that I come from. But I'm incredibly proud of my voting record, that you don't have to guess what I'll do. You don't have to come to my office and explain to me the benefits of a union. You don't have to wonder who I'll stand with. I think that's been very clear by my record, and I look forward to doing it in the Senate as well. Thank you. I'd like to call on Leonard Aguilar for the next question. Okay, thank you all again. Uh, Leonard Aguilar, Secretary Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. And the second question is going to go to uh, Senator Gutierrez. And we're going to talk about immigration. Immigration is a central issue for working families in Texas. And it's an issue that has raised major difficulties for decades. Fundamentally, labor believes all workers should have the full range of rights in the workplace. And most importantly, no worker should become an object of hate. And, uh, a hate, and no state leader should use immigration as political pawns. Many of our members and working Texans come from mixed status families. If elected, how do you plan to move comprehensive immigration reform to lift up all workers of Texas? Thank you, Leonard. Listen, I was born the son of immigrants, poor immigrants that had nothing, nothing to speak of other than just their heart and their values. The fact is, I'm going to sit down with Marco Rubio and remind him when he was once with a gang of eight and had a real comprehensive immigration reform plan. If you go to Roland for Texas, you'll see my five-point plan where we create a country of origin program. We eliminate H-2As and H-2Bs. We allow migrants to come up, get background checked at home, and take one of the 30 million jobs that Americans don't want. But there's also union protections in my plan. It says that no foreign labor will get paid more than their union counterpart, because that has to happen. We have to protect them. The congressman signed a resolution last week with him and 14 Democrats, and I don't call that bipartisanship, throwing our president under the bus, saying that he was an open borders president. Let me tell you something. It is wrong to throw Joe Biden under the bus, a president that has done so much for the working families, the unions of this United States, just for political expediency. It is wrong. And you should ask this congressman to refute why he did that. It is absolutely wrong. 
I want you to go to RolandForTexas.com so you can see a real comprehensive immigration plan that will safeguard our border, put our economy on steroids, and safeguard Social Security for the next hundred years in this country. Thank you so much. Congressman? Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we are a nation of immigrants, and I want to make sure that we continue that. It's just clear that our immigration system is broken, and the border is in crisis. We had over 300,000 folks show up at our southern border last month, a record, the most that we've ever had. And for us, it's time to act. We have to make sure that we respond to this crisis. My grandfather was a customs officer in Brownsville after serving in the Navy uh, and fighting the Pacific. And my mom and my aunt grew up in Brownsville, and I spent my childhood visiting my grandmother there. I know that our border communities are not political backdrops. They're places where real folks live, and they need us to act. And when we have inaction at the federal level, it's our border communities that feel the brunt of that. Listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was a tough vote for me. It was a vote that I saw as being about whether or not you stood for the status quo or not. That's why I think folks like Henry Cuellar and Vicente Gonzalez, my colleagues who also represent the border, joined me in it because we felt that we couldn't stand for the status quo because the status quo is unacceptable. And that instead we do need to have a comprehensive immigration reform. And I've signed on to a bipartisan comprehensive reform put forward by Veronica Escobar, uh, who uh, is all, one of all of our friends, uh, and is a real chance for us, the Dignity Act, to have a real way forward. We can have ideas, but unless we make them into law, they won't help anybody. And when it comes to immigration reform, it's going to have to be bipartisan and find a way to get through an incredibly difficult Congress. And that's what the, the Dignity Act gives us a chance to do, to both secure our border, to, give, uh, to better match our immigration system, meet the needs of our economy, and to bring folks out of the shadows who are here who are undocumented and to protect our dreamers. It is possible. The Dignity Act exists. Let's make it into law when I'm in the Senate. Mr. Chairman. Look, folks, immigrants are the source of our greatness as a country. And it's time out for us using immigrants as a political football. Amid the hemispheric displacement crisis that we have at the southern border, we must develop and craft policy that allows us to secure our borders while at the same time having control systematic way of processing those who are seeking asylum. I've been to the border and I know what I'm talking about. As a former city manager, I see the stress on the infrastructure of all of those small cities. Representative Eddie Morales, who represents Eagle Pass, 12 counties stretching all the way to El Paso, says to me, that is the reason I'm endorsing you, because you understand we need a sincere and sobriety effort to fix this problem and stop making it about politics. And so we've got to be serious about this. And I take my administrative background and my policy background and understand that Mexico is our number one trade partner. It makes no sense that we are making this a political football, but at the end of the day, Time we have up. to have a representative who can be elected in the general election. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. At the
At this point, we'd like to turn it over to our highly trained professional moderators. Thank you for putting up with me and Leonard. Uh, Jessica, would you go ahead and start us off? Great. Well, thank you so much as well to the Texas AFL-CIO for having me. Uh, Jessica Montoya Coggins from the Texas Signal Media Foundation. Uh, this is for State Representative Carl Sherman. If the other candidates can respond. If you are elected to the Senate, you will have a more impactful platform for enacting legislation that could return abortion rights to a state like ours, where it is essentially banned. What steps would you be willing to take to codify abortion access, and would those steps include abolishing the filibuster and or expanding the Supreme Court? Look, this is personal to me. As a father and grandfather of eight, our youngest daughter, my daughter-in-law and my youngest son, who's a police officer. Uh, they have two children and uh, two boys, and we were scheduled to have a third uh, little girl, Maya Marie Grace Sherman, born seven pounds, stillbirth. To deliver a baby is a God thing. Stillbirth meant that there was no birth certificate. I find it hypocritical that you would fight to ban abortion when you will not give a birth certificate for a stillbirth. Number two, I will work on bipartisan efforts to pass legislation where we codify Roe versus Wade essentially back into law because the God I serve is a God that gives me not only mind autonomy but body autonomy too and so it is not right for a man to go further than God who gives us that autonomy mind body and soul so I will work to fight to restore the right for women to have choice. And I say that as a pastor. Zimming? Yes. <clears throat> well, listen, what's happening in our state, to women in our state, to families in our state, is nothing short of a tragedy. And we have to restore this right. And my wife and I have been blessed with uh, two baby boys and two routine pregnancies in Dallas in the last five years. I can't imagine at one of our appointments, at one of the ultrasound appointments, or the genetic testing appointments, that I'm with you every single one of them, if the doctor had come in and said there's a problem with the baby, or with the pregnancy, there's nothing I can do. Because politicians like Ted Cruz think they know better. We've seen how this is playing out in reality. It's a mother of two in Dallas, who has a much wanted third pregnancy, who gets the news that we all hope we don't get. She has to go to the emergency room four times. Her doctor says she needs a medically necessary abortion, and her state tells her no. And they don't just tell her no. They say, we're going to prosecute your doctor, your hospital. We have counties saying you can't drive through our county if you're going to use the roads to access an abortion. Does that sound like freedom to anybody? I know it doesn't to me. And there's one thing I know about Texans, we believe in freedom. And there are so many downstream impacts we're going to experience from this at our university systems, our medical schools, fewer folks wanting to be OBGYNs in our state. The impacts will go on and on and on, and we have to restore this right. I have voted t twice in the House. We've gotten it through the House to codify Roe v. Wade, which means make it back into law. We couldn't get it through the Senate. When I'm in the Senate, we will. 
We will not let the filibuster stand in the way. We will reform the filibuster. We will make sure that we restore this right to Texas women at the federal level. It's the only way we can do it. And when I'm in the Senate, we will. Thank you. Thank you. Isabella and Victoria, can you stand up, please? It's okay. You can stand up. Those are my two daughters. That's my answer. You're damn right we're going to codify Roe v. Wade. You're damn right we're going to expand and we're going to expand the Supreme Court as we must. Absolutely, we're going to bust the filibuster. Let's see how we got to nine Supreme Court justices. It was in 1869 because we only had nine circuits. We have 13 circuits now. We need a Supreme Court that's not bought and paid for. We need a Supreme Court that's not bought and paid for by a guy in Dallas. Bought his car, bought his RV, sends him on vacations the rest of us could only dream about. I'll do everything in my power. I will exhaust myself to make sure that my daughters can make choices with their physicians. I'll make sure that every woman is not kept in shackles anymore because that is what the Republicans want to do in this Congress. Here at the halfway point, a quick reminder for you to hit our web store at progresstexas.org. It's always open. You can choose from y'all means all, revolution, or our most popular Humans Against Ted Cruz t-shirts. They're union-made right here in Texas, of course. With your purchase, you're supporting our important work and looking great doing it. Again, the web store and other ways to support our ongoing mission can be found at progresstexas.org. Congressman Allred, this question goes to you. Um, if you were sitting with President Biden in the Oval Office now, what would you recommend he do about the civilian death toll in Gaza and the risk of a wider war in the Middle East? Yeah. Well, I'm a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, and it just so happens that uh, I visited Israel in February, uh, and we went to a kibbutz. A kibbutz is a communal living center. Uh, and it was called Kafar Asa, right on the border with Gaza. And these folks were the most loving, peace-loving people you would ever come across. And when I was there, we did a Zoom with a father uh, in Gaza named Mohammed, who had four kids. And they were trying to build cross-Israeli and Palestinian relationships. Hamas's actions on October 7th meant that that kibbutz was called later by an Israeli general the site of a massacre. And I don't know where or what has happened to Muhammad and his four children. And so we have to place this blame squarely on the terrorist organization of Hamas for starting this conflict on October 7th, the most deadly day for Jews since the Holocaust. We have to make sure that Hamas is the focus of the response. And that's what I've said from the very beginning. I wrote an op-ed a couple days after this conflict started, saying that we must keep the focus on Hamas and their terrorist activities and try everything we can to prevent civilian casualties, and that is what I have pushed for. It looks like there's negotiations ongoing right now to see if we can get the remainder of the hostages released and some kind of ongoing ceasefire put in place. That, to me, is the right thing to do. But as Americans, our role is also to look around the corner and see what comes next for Gaza and for Israel. And to me, that must be an independent and safe Palestinian state next to a secure, stable Jewish and democratic state in Israel. Representative Sherman. You have 30 seconds, sir. Bob, were you directing the question to me? 
Uh, if you want to respond, yes. you have 30 seconds. Yes. What happened on October 7th was wrong. I remember being a member of the U.S. Conference of Mayors and President Obama reminded us, us mayors that we have a tendency as a country to have select compassion where we can have compassion for the individuals that lost lives on October 7th and their families, but yet for the 20,000 plus Palestinians, they deserve our compassion too. And when Netanyahu tells us that he does not see a two-state solution, we ought to believe him. I cannot support doing wrong when wrong is wrong. And so those families' lives matter too. And we must also consider the fact that this makes our national security less secure. Whenever the world sees us being unfair and unjust, then that creates more volatility for America. I just can't stand for that. Thank you. Senator Gutierrez. Congressman was asked, and he said, no ceasefire on KXAN. He said, no ceasefire. The fact is, 10,000 women and children have died. The fact is that we should go after Hamas in a police-like manner. The facts are that Bibi Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, is not Yitzhak Rabin. He's not Shimon Peres. He fails to see the fact that Lebanon is around the corner and Yemen and Iran. We must exhaust ourselves for peace, just like Bill Clinton tried to do. This president must exhaust himself to find peace in this powder keg that we call the Middle East because it is the next World War III if we do not stop what is happening right now. You cannot bring justice to 1,200 people by killing 30,000, a third of which are women and children. Did you want to respond, Congressman? You have 30 seconds. Listen. A ceasefire without conditions meaning, would mean that all of these hostages, over 100 that Hamas still holds, would remain hostages. It would also mean that Hamas stays in power so they could do this again at some later date. It is unacceptable uh, that we would pursue something along those lines. We can limit and do everything we can to limit civilian casualties while also prosecuting uh, this conflict against Hamas. But a ceasefire is not a magical term. Pursuing it is the work of hard negotiations, and that's what the president, I think, is trying to do right now. And, we're, and it will be a part of the hostages coming home and other conditions being in place. Uh, for State Senator Gutierrez. President Biden's plans to fix the student loan system were stymied by the Supreme Court. However, this administration has been canceling loan debt for thousands of American borrowers through other ways. Do you agree with this policy, and would you like to see the White House go even further? We should, but Congress should go even further. The reason I was endorsed by the University of Texas College Democrats, not some amorphous group, but here, one of our colleges, was because I had a college debt reconciliation plan. We should be looking at a 10 or 15 year going forward upon graduation tax credit, where you pay a net zero every year. And the 
the, the loss in revenue to the government will be supplanted by the fact that that young person will be able to buy a car or buy a house or buy a condo and truly live this promise of the middle class and the promise of the, the American dream. Here's the deal, folks. When I was in college, I paid $1,200 a semester putting myself through UTSA. The same kid now pays about $8,000 a semester. For Bob here, it was about $300 a semester. <laughs> we can do this if we act together, but we have to do something because we are choking the young people of America, and they deserve so much more from Congress, from Congress for sure. Thank you. State Rep. Sherman, do you have any response? Jessica, uh, this student loan debt is crippling our future. With $1.6 trillion in student loan debt, and the bulk of that being held by women, and the bulk of that group are African-American women who are seeking higher education more than any other group, we should make practical steps to do what we've done for the commercial industry, in forgiving debt, and it will be a stimulus to our economy. That's it, bottom line. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I support President Biden's plan to try and reduce student loan debt, and although the Supreme Court has taken away one avenue, he's pursued others, including folks who uh, are doing public service, folks who've been uh, these victims of these junk schools and degrees. And I know he wants to keep going, and so do I, uh, because uh, Mr. Sherman's right. Uh, this is a crippling debt for our young people. But we can't just tackle this in terms of the debt. We also have to tackle it in terms of the cost of higher education. And that's what's driving the debt. And so we have to come at it from many different angles, uh, including uh, making sure that we're making, I uh, see I'm running out of time, but that we have uh, community colleges, technical schools, apprenticeship programs that are available to folks, but that if you do go that four-year route, uh, that we try everything we can at the federal level to reduce your debt, or if you, uh, what you take on, that it's not an a, a rate that you can't afford. Uh, Representative Sherman, on health care, do you favor or oppose creation of a single-payer system, often referred to as Medicare for all, or at least all who will, those who want to participate in it? Look, my position is clear on this. First, I believe we need to expand Medicaid. Every year we're sending $10 billion of our taxpayer funds back to the U.S. government without them receiving the benefits of that taxation. Number two, with $27 billion annually in unexpended hospital care costs, it is crippling our rural hospitals, the ones that we still have, and it is creating uh, deficit, budget deficits for our urban hospitals. I was talking to the executives of Parkland Hospital, where they have about $1.7 billion in unexpendable hospital care. We can fix this, but as it relates to single pay, I believe we should leave that to the citizens because I have concerns about the ramifications of every step we take. First, we need to do first thing first. And I know as a former city manager and mayor, often we do things without considering the ramifications of doing those things. 
And so I would take a careful approach to this, meeting with not only uh, the hospital CEOs, but the citizens who should decide uh, this, because this is a major change for us to have. So I think that the citizens should choose. But as far as legislatively, we should expand Medicaid and do first things first and create that $10 billion, just as 12 other Republican states have done already. Thank you, Congressman. Medicare for all, single payer. Sure. Well, listen, I don't support that, but I believe that every Texan deserves quality, affordable health care. And that's what I've been fighting for my entire time in Congress. My first act in Congress was to pass a resolution to defend the Affordable Care Act in court. And because we were successful with that, we've not gone back to the bad old days of folks with a pre-existing condition being discriminated against or lifetime caps coming back. We know what Ted Cruz wants to do. Given the chance, he will repeal the Affordable Care Act. They are saying that openly. They want to go back to those days when if you're a woman, you could be discriminated against in the basis of your health care. We can't allow that to happen. I want to expand your coverage and lower your costs. We have the highest uninsured rate in the country here in Texas. That's unacceptable. We can do something about it by working to continue to improve the ACA. Carl's absolutely right. The state should expand Medicaid. I've seen that we have not been able to get them to do that at the federal level, so we're trying to go around our state and make sure we get it done. Senator. Listen, we need a Medicare for all that want it, period. If, if you've negotiated for a better plan, if you don't want Medicare for all, that's fine. You can stay with your private pay insurance. But the fact is, we should all get the same kind of health care that the good congressman and Ted Cruz get. We should all get that kind of fairness. We would save $30 trillion, $30 trillion in the next 10 years. This is not a unique issue. The fact is, most countries, it is a unique issue to the United States. Australia, Japan, Germany, Spain, France, Sweden, they all have a single-payer model. And by the way, go to my comprehensive immigration reform plan. I'm also an immigration lawyer. We need more J-1 visas for foreign doctors so that they can go take care of our rural working class. All of this is there, and the problems and the solutions are right in front of us. Thank you so much. Congressman, the leading cause of death for children in Texas and the country is guns. As a potential senator from this state, how do you see yourself advancing or advocating for gun safety measures? Well, as I said, I'm a father of two young boys. My, my sons are two and four. Uh, and after the tragedy in Uvalde, I had the same experience that I think parents across our entire state had when I dropped them off at school the next day, which was a pit in our stomach and a look in all of our eyes about what would we do if it happened at our school to our kids. We make you slow your car down when you drive through a school zone. I refuse to accept there's not more we can do to protect our kids and our public places from becoming the site of the next memorial. The Allen Outlet Mall in my area in Dallas is a place that when I was growing up I used to go to just to get a good deal. Now it's the site of one of our most recent mass shootings. And so we have to act. And I'm proud that for the first time in 30 years, at the federal level, we did something following the tragedy in Uvalde by passing the Safer Communities Act. And to John Cornyn, to his credit, helped us get that through. Ted Cruz voted against it. But we can't stop there. We have to build on it. I grew up in a state that believed in responsible gun ownership. That's the state that I know that we are. 
And when I think we believe that we should have universal background checks, that we should raise the age for the purchase of semi-automatic rifles, that we should limit high-capacity magazines and have red flag laws in place and keep fighting to save as many lives as possible, as quickly as possible, consistent with the Second Amendment and who we are as Texans. State Senator, do you have a response? I've seen all those kids dead. It's all the blood. Saw a little girl got dragged out by her leg with no face, her face gone. We need an assault weapons ban in this country once and for all. Every Washington politician needs to see those images so that they can understand the pain and the suffering that they went through and their families go through. John Cornyn, he screwed us over on extreme risk protective order language. There are no extreme risk protective orders. So when a kid buys a gun, then he goes and buy 800 rounds of ammunition, buys another gun the next day. How did someone not think that that's a significant event? I live this moment. I live it still. I see that little girl every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed. We need to fix this issue once and for all. I will make sure I go across this country exhausting myself for those families and those kids. We must fight to ensure that no other family has to experience this senseless loss. You're right, the number one cause of death in America for children one to 18 is firearms. In our country, more kids die from firearms. You know, as a city manager, I'll tell you, when, when we send our police officers out in the community, in the rural areas, and we go in and we discover that they have more guns and ammunition than we have in our police station, that's a problem. So enough with the nonsense of the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. What will stop a bad guy with a gun is sensible, pragmatic legislators who have the courage to fight against special interests. That's what we've got to have. But we need someone who can win, who can win and represent all Texans. I'm Carl Sherman, and I'm running to be your next U.S. Senator. Thank you. That's good, Carl. The next question, uh, the three of you and five other Democrats are running near the top of the ballot March 5th, but at the very top of the ballot in both parties' primaries. We have uh, Joe Biden, age 81, and Donald Trump, age 77. They're already the two oldest U.S. presidents. They're seeking another four-year term. Uh, we'll start with Senator Gutierrez on this one. Uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley says politicians over 75 should be required to take mental competency tests. Do you agree, and should we have term limits for Congress the way we do for the presidency? Here's the deal. We've got some senators that have been in their way too long, and I don't mind even talking about term limits. I think we ought to probably have that discussion. As far as Joe Biden is concerned, he runs circles around most. This president has exhausted himself for labor, 
This president has exhausted himself for working class families. He has done more since the last four presidents legislatively. Let's be very clear. Let's be very clear. Listen, we've all lost a step. Quick story. For Halloween, I was Ted Cruz. I had the, the thing in it, the whole backpack, everything, the little paunchy stomach. And my kids, they did this video. They all ran away from me. And as I ran, I kind of ran a little funny. And I looked back at that video and I said, shit, I'm getting old here. I don't run the same. I don't walk the same anymore. I get it. But at the end of the day, I will never turn back my back on the president that has done more legislatively than the last four presidents of these United States. What about term limits? Do you want to say anything on that, for or against? I filed a bill to oblige Ted Cruz at the beginning of the session. He said two terms. I, I filed the bill here in the Senate down the road. Four. Four. These people have stayed in there way too long. They've stayed in there way too long. When you have a senator that stays there for 50 years, my goodness, we need some new blood. Thank we you. We need some new blood. Representative Sherman, uh, mental competency tests and term limits. I'm sorry, the first part of the uh, question. Mental competency tests for those 75 or older, would you be for or against requiring that? And what about term limits for Congress? Well, an independent competency test, because apparently Trump believes that he passes every one of his tests. So I would say that first. Uh, and as it relates to term limits, uh, look at my past. I've always had term limits. In fact, uh, term limits is something I believe would make our uh, nation stronger. Uh, it would create a situation where we have more balance. Uh, so certainly term limits not only for Congress and Senate, but I believe it's time we had term limits for the Supreme Court. But there is no reason that a justice, a Supreme Justice, should be at this time deciding AI issues. Heck, most of them weren't even born when we had computers. So it makes no sense. <laughs> Congressman. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Roland, speak for yourself when it comes to slowing down. I'm still, I'm still getting around. <laughs> No, not, not Does like that I mean I've to, been though. invoked? Yeah. Yeah, not like I used to, though, trust me. Uh, you know, listen, uh, I've worked with Joe Biden. I, I went to Iowa to campaign for Joe Biden. I, I, uh, to me, uh, he has, there's no sense uh, that he needs some kind of mental competency test. Let's just put that to one side. I think that's a kind of a red herring. Uh, what we are looking at here, though, uh, in the Republican Party is that they are going to nominate, most likely, Donald Trump for the third time. I don't think we've done that in this country since FDR uh, was nominated uh, time and time again by our party. And it just indicates the level of control uh, that he has over that party. And the, the fact that he has taken folks who I know know better and led them into a position where uh, folks who were with me on January 6th and who I saw in their eyes knew what happened that day that they knew that we all were nearly killed, number one, but number two, that this was a serious attempt to overthrow the United States government, and that they're now telling us all and trying to gaslight us all and saying that it didn't happen. There's just a nice day at the Capitol. Well, I know better. 
And I know uh, that we cannot, uh, as Texans, as Americans, uh, allow us to go down that path ever again. Our democracy is very much at risk in this election. I was a voting rights lawyer before I came to Congress. I've been a voting rights leader when I, in my time in Congress. And when I'm in the Senate, I will restore your voting rights and protect your democracy. Thank you. And congressional term limits for or against? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, well, you know, listen, I'm a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, I've served with uh, giants uh, like Eddie Bernice Johnson, uh, who just passed, like John Lewis, uh, who, uh, with his quiet uh, dignity, reminded us of who we were and who, when we were in meetings, could recall the beginning of our fights to allow folks like me to serve in the United States Congress. If we had term limits in place, then these folks would not be able to serve. I recognize the impulse, which I think is that folks feel like if you're not doing the job anymore or if you're not interested in the job anymore, then you should be able to, we should be able to get rid of you. And that's where voting rights reforms and campaign finance reforms come in. And that's how we get rid of bad incumbents, and not by setting kind of arbitrary deadlines. Thank you. Uh, and this question is for all the candidates, but we'll start with State Representative Sherman. 2020 saw a huge surge of voter youth turnout. There are those signs that this might not happen, this go around. There's a lot of feelings of disaffection on the state of democracy, the environment, loss of personal freedoms. So to any young Texan watching, why are you the candidate that they should vote for and, and put their trust in? I'm sorry, the last part of what you said, Jessica. Why, why should a young Texan vote for you and put their trust in you? Yeah. You know, politicians win every time when they do negative ads. And I hear young people say, I don't do politics. I, I don't do politics. But politics does them all day, every day. When you have a young man 10 years ago named Ethan Couch, who killed four people, and he was sentenced to affluenza, never served a day in TDCJ, fled this country. We spent all sorts of resources apprehending him and bringing him back to justice only to extend his affluenza, which meant that the judge said that he was too privileged to go to prison. I have a constituent in my district whose son didn't flee the city, didn't leave the county, didn't leave the country. He didn't even leave his apartment. He was charged with evading the police. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison. He didn't kill anyone. That's what happens when you don't do politics. I just visited the young man. He is in the Cofield Prison Unit serving a 50-year sentence. And this happens every day, all day. Until we have someone who's willing to fight and get meaningful legislation passed, like Botham Jean Act, which requires that every police officer must activate their potty cam when an investigation starts, and they cannot terminate it until it ends. And as a mayor, I was the first city to equip all of our police officers with body cams in the nation. That's what voting will do. Well, there's a saying, uh, that if you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu. Uh, and you know, President Obama used to remind us to tell young folks, listen, you wouldn't let your grandparents pick your playlist for the next six years. They'll let them pick your senator, right? <laughs> so we've got to make sure young folks know what's at stake and that 
we need to have a fighter who will restore your individual rights, who has a record as a civil rights lawyer as my t in time in Congress that you can point to and say, I'm going to fight every single day to restore your right to access your own health care decisions, including an abortion, to restore your right to vote and protect your democracy, and then I'm going to win because that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that we actually beat Ted Cruz in this election. I've got a record of beating long-term incumbents who nobody thought could be beaten. Let's do it together on November 5th. Voy a ir a la frontera, les voy a hablar en español, tocante la mentira. I'm going to go to the border and talk about the lie, not the telenovela, the big lie. And the big lie is a false immigration narrative by Fox News and Trump and Cruz and everybody else. And it's false for this reason, because we can fix it, and it's Congress's job to fix it. When you condone that story, when you say, oh yeah, that's all there is, we never get to fix democracy. We never get to fix education. We never get to fix women's reproductive rights. Everything that they have screwed us over for the last 30 years of state control here in Texas, we don't ever get there because we have politicians that go off and condone that nonsense. And by the way, if it's broken, fix it. It must be fixed for sure. But we will talk to people on the border and we'll talk to them about jobs and opportunity and college debt reconciliation. We're going to talk to them about the things that matter most, and certainly we're going to talk about children dying in our schools and women's reproductive rights being lost. That's the way we win in November. Not by moving to the middle, but by inspiring every Democrat in this state to go get new voters and go beat these people. I believe we're out of time, and I'll turn it over to Rick. Thank you, moderators, for guiding us through that conversation, um, and thank the candidates for your responses thus far. I had an idea, Representative Sherman. I thought maybe we'd do closing, uh, closing <laughs> statements. What do you think? I, I second that. Okay, thank you. Uh, by, by lot, we're going to start with uh, Senator Gutierrez. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Leonard. Thank you, everybody at the AFL-CIO. Um, Jessica, thank you for your participation here. Listen. I know who I am, and I know who I've been. I'm a Democrat through and through. I'm a progressive, and I do not apologize for it. We need to change this world, and we need to change this country. And no amount of Republican pandering, no amount of moving and taking up Ted Cruz's causes and Donald Trump's wall no amount of that is going to have us win the day come November. No amount of hand-holding with Republicans is going to get this done. We have to do everything in our power because we are this close. We owe a debt of gratitude to one man named Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, you can clap. He's a good man. And the reason we owe that debt because he told us that we were within 250,000 votes. Listen, I... I'm running because all those children in Uvalde that died. My campaign is about the pain that we're living in, the pain that families are dealing with when they, lost, when they lose a child, the pain that women are dealing with for, with their lack of reproductive rights, the pain of just making, paying the bills, the pain of just making the mortgage, the pain of trying to figure out how you're going to put your kid in school. When we take up their chaos theory, Man, the border's broken, go fix it. It's not a president that fixes, it's called Congress. 
It's not the Dignity Act. It's full of indignity, quite frankly. We need real comprehensive immigration reform to solve that problem. But we also have to get to the real problems that these people have crushed us on in this country. And in this state, we have been scammed and neglected. And the poor rural Republican worker that's out there in rural Texas that says, oh, yeah, Donald Trump. Those poor bastards have been screwed the worst. <laughs> and so we have to have this discussion with all Texans. But I'm sorry. There's two, th there's two theories here. One is you got to go down the middle holding, class, holding hands with Republicans. I will do that. I know who I am. I've been here for you for 18 years. I'm going to keep being here for you as your next United States Senator. My name is Roland Gutierrez, and I want to be your next United States Senator. God bless you, and I love you. Well, thank you again to the Texas AFL-CIO for putting this on. Uh, thanks to our moderators and to the staff for doing this. I want to thank my colleagues here on the stage for a respectful debate. Uh, to me, this is what democracy looks like. You know, I know that my story is only possible uh, in Texas and in this country. Uh, it's, it's not normal uh, to be raised by a single mom to have never met your father uh, and to make it to the NFL, to serve in the administration of the first black president, to get to Congress and to now have a chance to run for Senate. That says more about my community, in my opinion, than it does about me. It was because I relied on the folks around me. I relied on my public schools. I relied on my teachers and my coaches. I relied on my YMCA where I went so much they let me come for free. I know who we are as Texans. I've been shaped by this state. I grew up in Dallas, went to school in Waco. I trained for the draft in Houston. My family's from Brownsville. I've been serving us now in my sixth year in the United States Congress. And I'm proud that I'm the most bipartisan member of the Texas delegation. Because when you're raised by a single mom, you don't have time for theoretical ideas that are going to become law. You have to actually get things done. Because I know that single mom sitting out there hoping that her legislators are working as hard as she is. And that's what I've been trying to do. But I also stand up for my values. And I want you to know that. I'm proud of having a 100% voting record in the Texas AFL-CIO. I'm one of the leading voices for voting rights in the United States Congress. I've been one of the leading voices for democracy around the globe. I will make sure that I keep taking these fights for you to the Senate to restore your fundamental rights, because my campaign is about freedom and restoring your freedoms, restoring your freedom to make your own health care decisions, including access to an abortion, restoring your freedom to vote, because it's under attack in our state and around this country, and they're trying to overturn our elections, and I won't let them do it. I was ready to die on January 6th when they were uh, trying to break into the Capitol. When you're the only former NFL linebacker in the room, and there's, uh, just say, some uh, older legislators there, and there's a mob at the door, they look to you. And I was ready. But let me tell you something. It shouldn't come to that. It came to that because of folks like Ted Cruz, because he went around the country lying about the election. And then he was the senator who objected to the results in Arizona. And then when that mob came and I took off my suit jacket and I was ready to fight them, he was hiding in a supply closet. And so this election is his accountability. So on November 5th, let's get rid of him. Go to ColinAllRed.com and get involved with our campaign. Thank you so much. Roland and Colin are right. Our democracy is under attack. And in 2021, when Democrats gathered in this state in the Texas House, half of the caucus discussed what we were going to do about this threat on our democracy.
And discussion was that we would go to Ardmore, Oklahoma. And one member stood up, Richard Raymond, and said, I think we should go to Selma, Alabama. It would be symbolic. Congressman John Lewis, Bloody Sunday. And I don't always talk until the end. And I stood up and said, with all due respect, I just believe that we should do as our foremothers and forefathers did. Cross the Mason-Dixon line, go to the citadel of our democracy, and implore Congress to pass universal voting protection laws. Because it's not just Texas. It's several other states that we're dealing with. Folks, all of the major issues from women's rights to Medicare for all, for those who want it, we all agree with gun control. I don't like politics, but I love people, I love the Lord, and I love policy. I love shaping and crafting policy that comports to humanity, that addresses the issues of the people who are not allowed into the room or a seat at the table. That's why civil rights attorney Ben Crump has endorsed me. That's why Pastor Freddie Haynes has endorsed me. Look at my record, I get things done, and at the end of the day, we've got to understand that when we get to the general election, Republicans will play their same strategy that they've done for over three decades. It will be good versus evil. Good versus evil, and Democrats are considered demon rats. And I'm not telling you a hypothesis. I'm coming to a close. I'm not telling you a hypothesis. This is not a theory. Look to Georgia. Look to Georgia to see if someone who's a mayor, city manager, state representative, and pastor can win. CarlSherman.com, thank you. Thank you. At this point, I would like to thank our moderators, Bob Garrett, Jessica Matoya Coggins, and the Dallas Morning News and the Texas Signal for participating and guiding our conversation. Um, to the candidates, thank each of you. I believe you have laid out powerful visions for how you would take this state, and our delegates have benefited from it. To our delegates, thank you for your engagement. Thank you for being present in this moment, um, and thank you for your continued commitment to the labor movement. So with that, the debate for the Texas, uh, for the Texas United States Democratic Senate seat has, I got it out, has concluded. And thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.